Coming up next, please join us for Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 130. Avi Ben Mordechai here. Shalom. You're tuned into Real Israel Talk Radio. This is podcast episode 130 and a part 17 analysis of Yeshua's last Passover week timeline of events leading unto his crucifixion and his third day resurrection. Now, in our previous analysis, which was podcast episode 129 and program series part 16, I walked you through events 12 through 14, the events that I have identified as part of the overall happenings that shaped the last week of Yeshua's earthly ministry, resulting in his fifth day of the week crucifixion, or what we would refer to as a Thursday, and his seventh day resurrection. Let's now continue from our last program and begin with event number 15, based on Luke 22, 54 through 62. Having arrested him, they led and brought him into the high priest's house. This is referring to Annas. But Peter followed at a distance. Now, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You, you're also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this one was also with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the master Yeshua turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the master, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. About three to four hours had passed since the initial arrest of Yeshua in the garden on the Mount of Olives. I am estimating that it is about an hour or so before sunrise, that is, about 0500 hours, or what we would say is 5 a.m. On the official Jewish or Judean calendar, it is approaching the morning of the fourth day of the week. That's Wednesday, which for the Judeans was the 13th of Aviv or the 13th of Nisan, meaning it was one full day before the Judean National Passover ceremony, which was to begin on late Thursday afternoon. 
However, according to the time reckoning of the sons of Tzadok, it is still Tuesday, the 14th of Aviv, meaning the 14th of the first month. The shift into the 15th or the first day of unleavened bread would come at sunrise, according to the sons of Tzadok priestly calendar. And that is based on Exodus 12, 16 and Leviticus 23, 6 through 7. Now, with this narrative from Luke 22, 54 through 62, which is what I just read for you, Yeshua is now being transferred under temple guard from Annas to Caiaphas, the officially recognized high priest of Jerusalem. Right then, at that moment, Peter, or Kepha, was warming himself by an early morning fire in the courtyard of the private residence of Annas, which is probably near what we know today to be the Zion Gate of Jerusalem's old city. As the sunrise of Wednesday morning began to approach, the official servants of Annas began to move Yeshua over to Caiaphas for the official start of the legal Sanhedrin High Court trial. In the midst of that transfer, Yeshua briefly looked at Peter, and as their eyes connected one to the other, we read that Kepha, or Peter, had denied Yeshua for a third time. And at that moment, we learn this from Luke 22, 61 through 62. The master turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of Jehovah, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. In our last program, we learned about the identity of that crowing rooster. From Jewish and Roman perspectives, we must recall that the time is about 0500 hours, meaning it is nearing sunrise on Wednesday morning, the first day of matzah, or the first day of unleavened bread, at least according to the reckoning of the priestly sons of Tzadok. At that time of the morning, the change of the Roman guard at the fourth watch of the night, that is at about 0600 hours, why that was only about an hour away. Meanwhile, the Jewish Kriyat HaGever, meaning the call of the rooster and also the call of the man in the temple, that had just sounded off. For the Judeans, that Kriyat HaGever or as they called him, the rooster, he made his call to the priests and all Israel to get up and begin the work for the day, beginning with temple service starting at about 0600 hours. Here is a reference to this idea as it's recorded in the Babylonian Talmud at Yoma 20b, section 4. The Gemara asks, 
What is the meaning of the phrase Kriyat Hagever? Rob said, It is the call of the man. The priest appointed for this task proclaimed that it was time for the priests to report for service. Rabbi Shila said, It is the call of the rooster, hence the term Kriyat Hagever. So this places Peter's third denial of Yeshua at the time of the priestly Kriyat Hagever's loud call. Therefore, John Mark recorded this as a prophecy timestamp based on the words of Yeshua, who said in Mark 14.30, Assuredly, I say to you that today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. By speaking the words today and this very night, it tells us that Yeshua was following the morning-to-morning reckoning of the sons of Tzadok, and he was not following the evening-to-evening reckoning of the Judeans. Therefore, in summary, this is the time frame that we should try to understand from Peter's denials of Yeshua. Point one, the first crow of the rooster was that of the Roman Galicinium, a Roman trumpeter soldier charged with announcing a change in overnight military guard duty for the last watch of the night beginning some two hours prior at about 0300 hours during the night. Point two, the second crow of the rooster was that of the Jewish Kriyat HaGever, or the call of the man. This was an expected call that generally took place at around 0500 hours, meaning the call of the man, or if you will, the call of the rooster, it came with the first light of the day or the dawn. So this is going to confirm for us two points. Point one, Peter's third denial of Yeshua happened at about 0500 hours on what we would call early Wednesday morning at around the break of day by our modern day reckoning. And point two, Yeshua's transfer from Annas to Caiaphas and Peter's subsequent eye-to-eye contact with Yeshua came also at about 0,500 hours. So this makes perfect sense as it was linked to the start of the legal trial of Yeshua by the Jerusalem Sanhedrin. By Jewish law, the Sanhedrin could only convene for court after sunrise at about 0600 hours. So to better understand, especially for you visual learners, I have built a graphic diagram of these events and how they relate to one another, and I've posted this diagram on my website under free resources and then under podcast extras. Look for the document, The Rooster Crow and 
Peter's denials of Yeshua. Continuing on, I think that there was more going on beyond these events in the natural. I'm basing this thought on the story of Adam and his betrayal of Jehovah recorded for us in Genesis chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. And they, referring to Adam and Eve, heard the sound of Jehovah Elohim walking in the garden in the cool of the day, or literally in Hebrew, in the spirit of the early morning hours. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Jehovah Elohim among the trees of the garden. Then Jehovah Elohim called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, that is, in the place of their meeting. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Perhaps Yeshua might have been connecting the idea of Genesis 3, 8 through 10, with the Hebrew Kriyat HaGever, that is the call of the man or the call of the rooster, and linking all of that to John 1, 14, which is the word and his connection to Genesis 3, 8 through 10. Now, this might better explain Jehovah's lesson to hear and respond to him when he calls based on three passages. Jeremiah 7.13 And now, because you have done all these works, says Jehovah, and I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called you, but you did not answer. Also, Jeremiah 7.25, Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have even sent to you all my servants the prophets, daily rising up early and sending, yet they did not obey me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. And finally, in John 7, 37 through 38, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Yeshua stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So when Yeshua looked into the eyes of Peter or Kepha, he appears to have given his response, which was to go out and weep bitterly. This is a principle of teshuva or repentance. So this said, I'd like to now summarize the events as they unfolded over about three to four hours during that night of Tuesday, the 14th day of the Aviv, or the 14th day of the first Hebrew month, based on the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verse 2. 
Now, please try to follow along with me, and I'll try to make it as clear and concise as possible. Event number 15. I'm calling this Peter's first denial. It was overnight at about 0300 hours. This is going to be confirmed with Luke 22, 55 through 57. Peter sat among them, and a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. Then the part of event 15 that follows is the first rooster crow, about 0300 hours, which was the Roman trumpeter or the Roman Galicinium announcing the change of the Roman guard. And so we learn from Mark 14:68, and he, referring to Peter or Kepha, went out on the porch and a rooster crowed. Again, that's the Roman trumpeter or the Roman Galicinium. Now let's go to event 16. This is Peter's second denial. And this happens somewhere around 0400 hours. We learn in Luke 22:58, and after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. But there's no reference to any rooster call at that time. This is just Peter's second denial. Now we go to event number 17. I'm classifying this as Peter's third denial at about 0,500 hours to somewhere maybe close to 0,600 hours, but I suspect it's closer to 0,500 hours. This is based on Luke 22, 59 through 60. Then after about an hour had passed since Peter's previous denial at about 0,400 hours, roughly, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow was also with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you are saying. Well, then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And then what follows is the second rooster crow at about 0,500 hours to maybe just a little bit after that. This is the Judean call of the rooster in the temple. And again, in Mark 14, 72, we read a second time the rooster crowed. That is the call of the man or the call of the rooster. Now, in the Babylonian Talmud, at Tamid 26a, we learn the following. Among the members of the priestly family who are to serve in the temple that day, whoever wants to remove the ashes from the altar rises early and immerses himself in a ritual bath 
as required of anyone who enters the temple courtyard. And at what time does the appointed priest arrive? The times of his arrival are not all the same. There are times that he comes at the call of the rooster or the call of the kriyat hagever, or he might come at an adjacent time, either before the call of the rooster or even after him. And that was to keep the guards of the temple on their toes, lest they fall asleep, because if they fell asleep, then they lit their clothes on fire, according to the historical documents that we have. Now let's go to event number 18. The eyes of Peter and Yeshua joined for a brief moment, and then Kepha, or Peter, went out and he wept bitterly. Now according to Yehovah's schedule, the pagan Roman calendar the religious Judean calendar, and also the biblical Sons of Tzedok Sevens calendar, all of them were converging at that exact same moment in time. Now, it is often assumed that Yeshua's inquisition and trial were official and legal proceedings of the Supreme Religious High Court of the Land, referred to as the Sanhedrin. Be assured, however, that the leaders of that high court had no intentions of breaking Jewish law. You see, if the Sanhedrin was guilty of breaking their own oral traditions and laws, well, I think we would have been told about it in the gospel narratives. But you see, there's no such information being transmitted to us that they were, in fact, in violation of their own court rules and their decorum. Remember, the religious Judeans were considered hypocrites on the inside, but not necessarily on the outside, as Yeshua referred to them when he said in Matthew 23, 26 through 28, Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, so that the outside of them may be clean also. Thus, by their own standards, they were not even guilty of breaking any of their own high court legal laws or rules, nor were they even in contempt of court. In the daytime, under Caiaphas, the capital case trial against Yeshua turned legal by the letter of the law. But by the spirit of the law, it was more of what we might call an ad hoc trial, meaning it was kind of an extemporaneous, off-the-cuff, down-and-dirty legal trial fishing for testimony in what might be called a bench trial in today's legal jargon. Anything that this ad hoc group could come up with still had to adhere to the Jewish oral law legal protocols. 
So you must try to understand that if any of the judgments that the Judeans initiated, if they were not legal, or if they did not follow legal protocol, their Jewish judgment of a capital crime would have had no legitimacy. And the court would really, by technical rules, they would have had to throw it all out. But according to Jewish law, the high priest Caiaphas and the elders of the Sanhedrin, they had every intention to make sure that their proceeding had legal standing. Therefore, we're going to learn something interesting from the Mishnah, which applies in this case. Stay with us and we'll be back in just a moment. I'm Abi Ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio. Welcome back to the second half of Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 130. Here is your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Okay, welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and let's continue where we left off. We're talking about Jewish law as we learn in the Mishnah that the high priest Caiaphas and the elders of the Sanhedrin, they had every intention to make sure that their proceeding had legal standing because they were bent on sending Yeshua to his death. Therefore, we learn this from the Mishnah in Sanhedrin 4, section 1. In cases of capital law, the court may conclude the deliberations and issue the ruling even on that same day to acquit the accused. But they must wait until the following day to find him liable. This means the accused will likely not be acquitted if, in fact, they did acquit him on that very same day. Therefore, since capital cases might continue for two days, the court does not judge cases of capital law on certain days, neither on the eve of the Sabbath nor on the eve of a festival. So based on this high court ruling of law, the Sanhedrin maintained the rule of law on two points. Point A, the court would never judge a capital case on the eve of a Sabbath, which in that particular year when Yeshua was crucified, that would have been Thursday sunset to Friday sunset. And point two, the court would never judge a capital case on the eve of a festival. And that would have taken place starting at sunset on that Wednesday. And they were judging him on the morning of that Wednesday in the year when Yeshua was crucified. So on these two counts, they would never have been able to judge 
his capital case. It had to be before those events. Hence, I would say that it was on Wednesday, the fourth day of the week. However, there are two additional points of legal law concerning the high court. The high court was permitted to judge a capital case and issue a ruling for an acquittal on the same day of their judgment. And the high court was permitted to judge a capital case as liable, but under their own rules, they had to wait until the following day or the next day, beginning with sunrise, in order to make their legal judgment stick. And this is one of the most important principles that the Judean high court had to follow by their own oral law regulations. So this leaves us to look at a much bigger picture. Point number one, if Yeshua was crucified on a Wednesday, the fourth day of the week, as some would suggest, then his Jewish high court capital sentencing would have had to occur on the previous day meaning Tuesday. But you see, that didn't happen because Yeshua was preparing for his Passover with his disciples that very night. The second point, if Yeshua was crucified on Friday, the sixth day of the week, or what is often called Good Friday, then the Jewish high court capital sentencing would have had to occur on the previous day, Thursday. But that didn't happen either, because by their own high court rules, the Sanhedrin is not permitted to judge a capital case on the eve of a festival. In this case, Passover, in that particular year when Yeshua was crucified. So the only other time-reckoning option that is available and one that fits into the overall context of his last week's events timeline, Yeshua was sentenced for a capital crime on Wednesday, the fourth day of the week, and then on the following day or the next day, Thursday, the fifth day of the week, he was delivered over to crucifixion. When the Jewish high court sentenced Yeshua, to crucifixion on the Wednesday that they were doing it, meaning the fourth day of the week, by their calendar reckoning, you see, it was only the 13th of Aviv. It was one full day before their Passover on Thursday. Therefore, by their own court rules, it was not the eve of the festival, and it was not the eve of the Sabbath, so they could convene and issue forth a high court capital sentencing of death, because they were certainly not about to acquit him that very same day, which they could have done, but they didn't want to do that, which explains Yeshua's response to the court in Luke twenty-two sixty-seven and 68. When in their questioning of him, they said 
If you are the Messiah, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Because Yeshua knew and they knew that he could be acquitted by the court on that very same day. So according to the high court rules, they had only until sunset that Wednesday to get their crucifixion judgment unanimously sealed and handed over to Pilate so that he could essentially sign off on Yeshua's alleged crime. The religious high court had no other window of opportunity to do what they had decided to do as the legal high court of the land. If they had missed their window of opportunity to judge Yeshua guilty of death for whatever reasons, they would have had to wait another 12 days before he could be sent off to his crucifixion. But you see, that could not work according to Yehovah's will. So, what we learn in the gospel narratives, the high court officials knew that they were under an extreme time crunch, and they needed to get their legal sentencing over and done with before sunset on that fourth day of the week, Wednesday. Indeed, they were in a bit of a hurry because they wanted Yeshua hanging on that Roman crucifix and crucified before the start of their Passover festival, which on their calendar began at sunset on Wednesday. And this is precisely what we are told in Mark 14, 1 through 2. After two days, it was the Passover, referring to that upcoming Thursday Passover of the Jews or the Judeans, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was also upcoming on Thursday evening, beginning with sunset. That's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread of the Jews or the Judeans. So Mark tells us, the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, quote, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. So he was not sentenced by them anytime after Wednesday at sunset. They were hurrying to get the whole event of Yeshua's crucifixion behind him before sunset on Wednesday when the Passover day would have begun and or also on the upcoming late Thursday afternoon when they slaughtered the lambs. And then at Thursday at sunset, that would have begun the Feast of Unleavened Bread on their calendar. So once again, let me stress, they only had until the end of the daylight portion of that Wednesday when they were deliberating in the high court in order to get their sentencing sealed and wrapped up according to their legal 
high court Jewish laws. This now brings us to event number 20, the high court trial testimony and Yeshua's first meeting with Pilate. The arrival of the early morning sunlight on that Wednesday, the fourth day of the week, it had now come. It was about 0600 hours, which was prophetically connected to the English text of Malachi 4.2. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, or Justness, will arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. We learn from this event on the fourth day of the week and on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread based on the sons of Tzedok priestly calendar in Luke 22, 66 through 71. Quote, As soon as it was day, meaning sunrise Wednesday morning on the Tzedok calendar, the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the scribes, came together and led him into their council. This is referring to leading him into the Sanhedrin's chamber of hewn stone. And they were saying, If you are the Messiah, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask, you will by no means answer me or let me go. So then Yeshua goes on to say, Here and after, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of Elohim, or the power of God. Then they all said, Are you then the Son of God? Ben Ha-Elohim? So he said to them, You rightly say that I am. And they said, What further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. With this testimony of Yeshua, it was a clear statement of identity based on the messianic prophecy of Daniel 7 9 through 14. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. This is about the Son of Man approaching the Ancient of Days. The high priest Caiaphas and the elders of the council of the Sanhedrin, they were absolutely confounded in utter belief at what Yeshua was saying to them. Yeah, it drove them mad and senseless. With this, Caiaphas adjourned the court to assess the whole situation unfolding in front of them. Collectively, they needed no more testimony but because of the laws of the Jewish high court, 
they still needed to wait until the next day to make their sentencing official. They could have acquitted him that very day, but they had no intention of doing so. So in the adjournment of the court early on that Wednesday morning, they took hold of Yeshua and they delivered him over to Roman Governor Pontius Pilatus, who had taken some time out of his busy early morning schedule to deal with this matter of Yeshua. Based on this, it makes sense that Yeshua appeared before Roman Governor Pontius Pilatus or Pilate. He appeared before him twice, not once. So we learn this from John 18, 28. Then they led Yeshua from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the Praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Here, the timestamp is about eating the Passover, and the time is Wednesday morning, about 0600 hours. This was Yeshua's first interview in front of Pontius Pilatus. Remember, it was still the 13th of Aviv on the Judean calendar, but on the Sons of Tzedok calendar, it was already the 15th of Aviv. That is, it was the first day of matzah, or unleavened bread. Had any of them entered Pilate's Roman praetorium on that day, why, it would have ritually disqualified them for their upcoming eight days of the Passover, beginning the very next day, Thursday, in the daylight portion of that day. And this is according to Numbers 19, 11-14. This is the law when a man dies in a tent. All who come into the tent and all who are in the tent shall be unclean seven days. So these Pharisaic separatists were concerned about the status of the praetorium's ritual purity in something that they called a defilement of the deep or an uncleanness of the deep. In that building, it was thought to be a place of death, and therefore in their mind, ritual impurity abounds. So they avoided going into that place of death in order to not be disqualified from celebrating their upcoming Passover on the very next afternoon being Thursday. However, for Yeshua, it was already the first day of unleavened bread on that Wednesday morning when he appeared before Pilate. And clearly, he was not concerned about that Pharisaic law of defilement of the deep. Consequently, we learn this from John 18.29. You take him and judge him according to your own law. So then we learn from John Mark, who captured the essence of the testimony that Yeshua gave before Pilate during that first early morning interview with him. John 18, 33 through 38. 
go ahead and read it on your own. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Yeshua and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yeshua answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Yeshua answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Judeans or the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Yeshua answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Judeans, or the Jews, who were gathered outside the praetorium, and he said to them, I find no fault in him at all. When Pilate concluded, I find no fault in him at all, why, this was not what they wanted to hear. They needed Pilate's approval for a capital punishment death sentence. Then Luke adds some detail that John Mark did not include, for whatever reasons he may have had. So Luke writes in 23, 5-7, But they, referring to the Judeans, were more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that, he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction. So he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. And this is where Luke picks up on the story. He writes about it in Luke 23, 8 through 12. And you can read that on your own. From a timestamp point of view, it is likely around mid-morning when all of this is going on with Herod. So, these officials of the Jerusalem Religious High Court were running out of options to have Yeshua crucified before the Feast of Passover on their calendar, which would start at sundown that very night. But remember this, they always slaughter the Passover towards the end of the 14th of Aviv on their calendar reckoning. Then... They always eat the Passover lamb after sundown on the 15th of Aviv, or they eat the Passover on the first day of unleavened bread. They never, ever eat the Passover on the 14th, even though the written Torah says to eat it on the 14th. They always eat it on the 15th. So in the year of Yeshua's crucifixion, the Judeans or the Jews made two serious calendrical errors. 
Number one, they slaughtered their Passover lamb on the wrong day. Number two, they ate the Passover lamb after sundown, beginning with the 17th of the Aviv, or the 17th of the first Chodesh, or first month, again, all according to the sons of Sadok calendar reckoning that Yeshua followed. So this is why there's so much turmoil in the high court on that Wednesday, the fourth day of the week. The religious leaders tried very hard to find enough confirming testimony in order to get all of the material evidence to agree, because they couldn't get anything to agree. That was the problem. And it was not easy to do it. But with all of this in place, they knew that if they could get that done, then they could legally seal Yeshua's death sentence in order to reverse Pilate's declaration, I find no fault in him at all. Now, on our next program, we'll continue with event number 21, which picks up with Pilate's second meeting with Yeshua and with the religious high court Jewish officials. On that second meeting with Pilate, it took place early the next morning or early Thursday morning. It was at that meeting that Pilate said to the Jews or the Judeans, Behold the man! and washed his hands in disgust at the whole matter. Join me for the next program in this series, and you'll learn more about Pilate's second meeting with Yeshua. This is Avi ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. <laughs> 